0: from Mesh AI. This is the Data and AI podcast. It's episode 9 and I'm DBS. Joining to me today, we have Deepak Vincy. How are you doing, Deepak?
1: Hey, DBS. Glad to be back. So uh, what's been going on this week, mate? So quite a lot in the AI space, for sure. Um, but before we actually go into it, um, you know, we've, we've actually had quite a special week here at Mesh AI. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's actually our two-year birthday. Um, so it was this day two years ago that we were formed as a company, and I just can't believe that we've achieved such a magnificent milestone. So depending on when this, the the person listening to the podcast might be, uh, the two-year mark might have already passed, Be a quite a special, special day and special week for us. But also on the other hand, one of the interesting things I thought would um, to share with the audience was what I read about a, a new tool that's been worked on in the industry called Nightshade, uh, which is in effect, let's just sort of call it that, between quotation marks, Poison for AI models. Um, So what it actually tries to do is, particularly when we take something like images, it actually takes the metadata and the actual image itself, and it manipulates some of the pixels in a way that say an AI model, say for example, GPT-3 or 4, is taking a particular image, it will actually misclassify it, um, and therefore end up giving you inaccurate results. And the whole point here is that creatives can make sure that their art and their outputs aren't being used without their consent. And if they are, then these tools um, don't end up getting the right output that they need. So I'm going to be following that with, with quite a close interest, because I think particularly in this entire space related to asking people for permission and the quality of, of the data being used for training, I think something like this could have a significant impact, which I think kind of links in quite nicely with today's topic as well.
0: Yes, it does indeed. And today with us, we have Jakob. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm Jakob,
2: one of the data scientists here at Mesh
0: very related to what we were just talking about. Today's topic is trustworthy AI. So we've talked on previous episodes about the benefits of AI, the scale of AI and the business impact, but we've never really talked about the dangers too much. Um, and today, Jakob is is one of our experts on the subject. He's going to talk us through trustworthy AI, what it really is, what it means and, and how to protect itself from it in the future. And And this is Obviously, a field that is getting much more attention based on the models that have gained traction in the last 12 months, but it's an important one. What we want to do today is try and add some substance to that, um, and Jakob's going to talk us through exactly what it means and how to think about it. So um, Jakob, why is trustworthy AI important to you personally and and should be important to our listeners?
2: Uh, That's a good question. So like you said, with the use of AI being more prevalent now, we need to be sure that we can trust it like we would any other service that we use. Uh, But not only is it like a risk mitigation strategy, but it also has additional benefits. So there's many cases where some solution might be great, but if people don't trust it, don't use it, some of the value would not be realized. So in that sense, it's both a risk mitigation, but also increases the potential benefit of any technology we develop.
1: You raised quite some interesting points there, right, particularly because one of the things I've been hearing about quite a lot recently is is been around the impact and, and the impact of trustworthy, uh, particularly within public sector. Um, so w- within the UK realm, actually, there's been a lot of questions recently around HMRC, DWP, and, and actually their um, usage of some of these tools that's been used to determine the social status of people and and therefore what the financial implications to them should be. Um, And I think for me, it just sort of goes to show that more and more organizations have already been using some of these AI tools for a while, but I, I just think the trust and the impact of trust is something that perhaps is still catching up with it and it hasn't necessarily been at the level of transparency that we'd expect it to be. So I guess a, a first question to ask ourselves is why do it? Sort of what is trust in AI and sort of why, why is that important?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So I guess from my point of view, if we look at AI as if it was somebody we, like a coworker that we work with, we wanna be able to trust that they're honest and that you know, they, they do the right thing uh, when it's needed uh, so in the same way i think as ai is becoming more prevalent in our lives we need to have the same expectations of the technology as well and trust is difficult to gain but it's very easy to lose uh, so in that sense it's difficult it's good to be prepared ahead of time before something goes wrong before you know this large uh, media coverage of it and uh, there were cases where some automated recruitment softwares were biased towards like, bias against women, uh, even when they were when the CVs themselves were anonymized, they still managed to pick up and assign the gender to the applications, resulting in a very biased hiring process. And that news, you know, kind of destroys the whole reputation of the organization. So it's very important that you know we put. Uh, things in place ahead of time uh, as to prevent these things from happening.
1: I guess the, what I'm sort of hearing there, uh, Jakob, so there's, there's an element of trust from those producing these systems and the impact, a lack of a trustworthy system could have to their institutional reputation. But I guess then there's also the implications of, of the consumers of AI, right? Let that be an organization or an enterprise consuming, but also the actual end user or an employee or a citizen using these AI systems. Would that be a fair breakdown of the levels at which we need to consider this?
2: Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's right. So we often kind of simplify it too much. There's so many stakeholders involved in this. Um, like you said, there's the, the business owners who develop these solutions, there's the data scientists who work on them, there's the, some potential future cons- consumers, and they all have different requirements. So something that would convince a data scientist that something is fine would be different than something that a layman would understand. Uh, so as, I guess as we delve into these topics, we can start looking at you know, what different stakeholders require. Because so In some industries, we have regulators as well that are interested in this. So what we report to might get might be different to what we present to end users. And it's important that as we develop these technologies, we keep that in mind. So we don't just have, OK, trust with AI, just one tick box, fits everyone. We need to make sure that every type of
0: users or stakeholder in general is addressed. I think that's a really important point. I think when people think of trust in AI, they think about the algorithms themselves and how they work and... And, and I think that, that there's a, a bit of confusion about transparency. And what we're focusing on here is actually understanding what trust is, the users uh, and the purpose behind the interaction with the AI solution and how we build trust based on what we give back and, and what, what it is we give back. And I think this comes back to essentially product thinking, right? It's the end-to-end lifecycle of a product, which is how most AI gains scale and impact across industry right now. My question to you, Jakob, is if AI trust is is such a, an important mechanism to the scale, because it is, right, we, we gain trust, we gain adoption, we gain data and we improve, right? We improve the way that the model performs, but we also improve the impact that it has on, on our lives. How can we improve that trust and how can AI and people work together in in kind of a harmonious way so that longer term trust is increasing rather than where I think we are at the moment where trust is actually decreasing.
2: So I would say there's two elements to it. There is the trustworthiness of the AI system itself, but also how we communicate that trustworthiness to the stakeholders. Um, So like you mentioned, it's not just the algorithm itself, it's the data that's been gathered uh, to train the model on it's how you train it on it's how we use the application so you know we can think of uh, video image recognition as in itself just not, nothing that nothing special about it but if it's used by the government to attract people then there's some things that we just think about just how the same technology is used in different use cases so yeah I guess it's about the whole life cycle and how we present it to whoever is going to be using it so you know perhaps we need to be more clear with what data we are using to train the model on. A lot of the large language models that are available now, it's not very clear what data they train on. So it's difficult to say what kind of biases or any uh, or any other defects might be present in the data that I was trained on, which might um, sit through to how you know, eventually it's used. And then we might see some uh, biases in how it's um, I guess, used in the, at the end. So I guess an example of that would be, it's going back a couple of years now, but there was a study done on uh, language models trained on Google News, and there were cases where um, the, so the model, the distance between, uh, if you think about how the model learns, these, there was a lot of similarity between man and programmer, and the similar difference was between woman and homemaker. So there was some bias trained into these models. So then if we use those models to make some predictions, those biases we would expect to be present in their predictions as well. Um, So yeah, the data side is definitely important as well.
0: Yeah, I think the new paradigm of large language models and the wave of generative AI has almost set a a negative precedence in that data doesn't really matter because we throw scale at the problem. And and I think actually what what you've outlined there and, and what I think more people need to be aware of is that data actually Needs to be more important and the impact of it because of the capability of these systems is more impactful so understanding what data goes in and understanding the output and that's that's the other thing you said around the application because we're now looking at foundational models that can do multiple things and be applied to multiple tasks the same model can be applied in different situations so i think really understanding how it's used and how it's explained and put into the hands of users finishes that loop of, of the, the usage and, and the right usage, and, and then, I guess, the trust we build over time. So that brings me on to, to our next question. How do we build trustworthy AI systems?
2: So to build trustworthy AI systems, I mean, there's a few things that need to be in place within any organization. Uh, so we need to have specific tooling and, I guess, skill sets uh, to to be able to address questions around explainability, um, safety, fairness, uh, and then this whole thing needs to be underpinned by good um, AI governance. Um, so I feel like we need all those four elements uh, present there to be able to do it, uh, other than if we don't have it, it's we might build a trustworthy system, but it will be by accident. It wouldn't be consistent, I suppose, as our
1: approach. So. Probably one element I'd like to perhaps add into there, and as part of our discussion earlier today, Yakim, when we were preparing for this podcast, you sort of mentioned this, which was what we're now finding is that when stakeholders and people have been involved in building AI systems, actually more often than not, um, they've been involved in the data gathering phase and, and making sure that the, the data that's being used for either training or fine tuning or a classification is the right data. But actually more often than not, when we move into the model development phase, that's when you start to see actually almost stakeholders being a bit disengaged or distanced because it's seen more of a it's a technical activity that's being done, so therefore we don't need to be involved. Going back to DBS's point on trust around data and, and then also to yours on, on making sure that you're getting the right people involved in the right stages. How do we make sure that that doesn't happen? Because surely that allows you to make sure you've got a consistent thread of trust all the way from data gathering, classification, Sort of training, fine tuning, and then and then the development of the model in itself.
2: Yes, yeah. Uh, so I think, in general, you know, I'm stereotyping here a little bit, I suppose. But well, once the data science joins the team and, and the part where they sort of try to understand the data, there's a lot of good stakeholder engagement. There's you know a lot of nice graphs being plotted. Everybody discusses the data. But once we move on to the model training, it's kind of just being reported as this is the accuracy score, this is the R squared score, and so on. We never really dwelt that much into why is the model making these predictions? Can we come up with some specific test cases that we want to test it on and so on? And I think that would help the the trustworthiness of it, but also the quality of the the model itself. So it happens quite often where we build a model that on the surface has a very good accuracy. But if you start looking into how the model is actually predicting, it's not uh, predicting things properly. So a good example of that is um, how image classification of dogs and wolves has been done Uh, so a model has been trying to predict those two things and it was working very well but what the researchers have found out later is that um, the model was using the background to decide whether something was a dog or a wolf in that if it was a snowy background it guessed it was a wolf Uh, so in that case if we just presented the accuracy score it would have been an amazing model but it's not capturing the underlying relationships in the world. Uh, And I think that happens in many cases. Um, So it's using some of these trustworthy AI techniques can help us uh, build models that are actually modeling the right things. So almost trying to capture the underlying causal relationships rather than just find correlation between things. And that's what makes it scalable uh, beyond just what it was trained
0: on. That's a really interesting example of where we've uncovered uh, the way in which an algorithm has learnt. But to uncover that, I think you have to design the right questions, and you have to look for the right things. And and for me, you know, this this kind of cross domain approach to developing AI is really important because it's not just the developers, it's not just the machine learning engineers, but it's also the business right and and those that understand the context of how the algorithm is going to be applied so in that case of the background someone had to either look into the background or come up with a hypothesis that this could be the case right how we scale that within enterprise i think is is yet to be seen as a norm we are seeing it you know with a few of our clients that, that start with risk right and um especially in some of our more regulated sectors there are huge risks associated to the way in which AI can be um, used. So starting with risks and then looking for those risks. But that's not the only way to go about it. I think from, from a, a positive contribution to, to insight and to understanding what's happening, you can also use it to uncover an understanding, right? Not, not only of the algorithms, but the data itself.
1: That actually brings us to a a very interesting point there, DBS, you touched upon, which is when you work with the users and with the business to understand what problems you're trying to solve and ask the right questions, it, it also helps develop that trust, which actually brings me to a key question, right, which is, Right now we know let's just say organizations are in two situations. They can either go and build their models, simplistically speaking, or they can go and buy third party tools with the models baked in, or they can go and buy the models themselves. With human nature being the way in, in in which it is, do we think where stakeholders are involved in building their own models, where they would have had greater input and say with regards to the data that's fed into it, compared to third-party off-the-shelf commercial tools that they're buying? Do we think third party tools have less time to convince people that they should trust those tools versus in-house developed models where even if perhaps the accuracy might be lower, but the fact that they've had a greater say in what's being built and why it's being built with its very inherent nature gives you that sensation of trust because you know why and how it's being built?
2: That's a good point. I think it's a double-edged sword in terms of building it in-house, in terms of Yes, you do have more input and more control about how it's built. Uh, But then also, I guess there's a risk of running that you project the trust you have to the data scientists or the science team as a whole onto the model that they're producing. In that, you know, you've worked with, let's say, with Anna for months on this model, you trust her. I'm sure she'll do a great job. But uh, unless we have the proper AI governance in place, it might be misplaced, unfortunately. So I think there's, it's not. As a single solution, let's just build everything in-house. I think even when things are built in-house, yes, you do have the extra time to interact with it and so on. So it gives you that advantage. But uh, there's also other potential downfalls to uh, shortcomings to it as well. Uh, But I guess in terms of buying a product off the shelf, it's always tricky because the uh, the supplier probably wouldn't want to share every detail of how it was trained because that's their proprietary information as well. So it's about what's the right balance between asking for enough information so you're satisfied, but then not asking too much so the supplier doesn't get, I guess, angry with you or trying to think that
0: you're stealing their
2: uh, information.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's difficult with third-party suppliers. To, to me, having a almost an agnostic, you know, framework for for assessing based on what you can get access to. Uh, so to Jakub's point. They probably won't release the data. Um, uh, you know, most of most of the API service layers don't, um, and they probably uh, won't give you too many details about how the model's trained. But you can then indeed look at the outputs um, and look at the the impact that those outputs have, and and put the mitigations and, and safeguards in place so that you number one understand uh, what's in those outputs, is their bias, like Jakob mentioned. And are you detecting it and mitigating it from you know when your users are ultimately exposed to it so I think it's it's like with anything right you have to design the safeguards based on what's available to you and the things that you have to be aware of, but that's the thing right being aware of what those areas of concern are and and I think trust comes from areas where people care right and and to business that is where business is at risk. And so, you know, we we inherently care about those things, but knowing how to look is the hardest part. Uh, And that's where kind of, you know, uh, trustworthy standards come in, Um, which brings us on to an interesting um, uh, pointer uh, on this podcast, which is how do you actually safeguard and how do you implement the right technological um, frameworks to create trustworthy AI
2: Yeah, there's a few elements that we need to keep in mind. Uh, I guess now one thing also to keep in mind is that there's some AI regulation coming into force, which kind of defines, I guess, the minimum requirements for some of these things. But in general, uh, like I think I mentioned a minute or so ago, uh, we need to make sure that the AI system we're building are explainable, uh, safe, and, and they are fair. And this whole thing needs to be underpinned by a layer of AI governance to make sure there's some consistency across the organization of how those things are implemented. But another thing to keep in mind is that we can't just rely on technology for this. There needs to be sort of education piece as well, process piece as well, in terms of making sure that everybody's asking the questions. It's not just on the data scientists to make sure You know, you implement the shop values for whatever model you've built. It's the users asking for, asking the product questions. It's the business owners making sure that the data scientists are following these things properly. Uh, So I think it's the technology part, yes, but also the how people approach this as well.
1: I think probably a big thing for me, right? And I think again, we were talking about this earlier, will not we, Jacob? Is we kind of need to be in a position where we get much better at moderation because right? it can't just be uh, an extreme situation where we either say we'll fully adopt something or we'll completely stop and like sort everything out because, frankly, we know realistically the cats are already out of the bag and we won't really be able to be in that position. I think, for me, one thing perhaps every enterprise should consider You know, just like Chief Chief Risk Officers, you know, they had security and data and cloud eventually be part of the organizational and business risks that they were consuming that they were they were working from. I think AI fundamentally has to be part of an organization's risk framework. And it's almost something that chief risk officers cannot not say no to anymore, because it's not just the fact that, oh, we're not going to buy a model, so therefore we don't need to think about AI risk. But actually, fundamentally, if you look at, say, maybe perhaps if you're a consumer of of the Google Office suite or the Microsoft 365 suite, you will also inherently be using some AI tools. Now, granted, they might not have that big an implication into your business decisioning as, say, uh, a tool that you use for pricing or for classifying your consumer base but at least safe to say chief risk officers do need to know that ai is probably already part of your organization and the sooner you get to a position where you're able to build a risk framework that starts to ask as you both have mentioned those right questions i think at least organizations will have started to prepare themselves for you know the ai revolution to come in the next five to ten years if not sooner
2: there's the issue of uh, not doing ai is a risk in itself Um, So that's something I guess to keep in mind as well Uh, but I think the moderation part is a good one Uh, I think that comes down to governance so do we need to throw the whole book at at a problem where we just say we're trying to do text predictions like autocomplete for instance that use case probably the impact of it going wrong is very low so we probably don't need to throw the whole book at it with all the elements to it so it's about deciding I guess based on the use case how much of this um, sort of bias detection and all that we need to implement. Because uh, as the of so chat GPT became more popular, uh, I guess we saw two types of organizations. One is, let's go for it, let's see what we can do. And the other one is, nobody can touch it unless we do a thorough risk assessment. Uh, so I think it's about finding what is the risk tolerance for, for the organization, but also what is the potential impact of it, and then acting according to that.
0: Yeah, I think for me that the big thing, especially when you think about chief risk officer, is, is the education piece. I mean, AI in some areas is is quite abstract and almost alien to a lot of folk that haven't been in this field for a while. And the risks are the same, right? Uh, ultimately, the risks are the same as with uh, previous AI and, and other technologies that came before it. But it's understanding how to identify that risk and then how to mitigate it, which is ultimately different. So... You know we're in a world now that's that's full of buzz and hype and misconception about what AI and, and more importantly generative AI really is um, and how to really safeguard for it. so to me that the biggest area of focus needs to be in in education and and that's both internal in, in in companies but also externally to the consumers. That's what we talked about in the beginning which to your point, the acknowledgement that an image for example has been created by an AI based uh, solution versus not is that being exposed to the end user right now no it's, it's it's one of the things that's talked about in terms of regulation but it's not there yet so uh, understanding what ai can do and where it might occur uh, where it might be used is still pretty you know pretty unknown to the common folks so education on both sides of it is is really important important yeah
1: so so dbs we, we've talked between the three of us, quite a lot about building this framework for trustworthy AI, right? If, if I'm a chief risk officer or a large enterprise looking to start tomorrow, what would be the three, four, five key components that I would need to start considering as part of a trustworthy AI framework? And Jakob, it would be good if you could sort of add your point of view to that as well.
2: Maybe starting from the governance piece, a lot of, so one, one thing that's need to be in place is sort of a solid understanding of the trade-offs because there will be trade-offs that we need to make when we build these systems we can make a perfect performance one and robust one fair one and release it next tomorrow uh, so i guess as a governance structure uh, what we need to have is some way in which we manage the trade-offs between things like performance robustness fairness and time to release and that ultimately should be coming from the risk tolerance of the organization uh, so, I guess this is where the risk needs to be, first of all, uh, identified and quantified where possible. And then, based on that, we can start making these decisions of why there are trade offs and how do we implement those going forward.
0: So, we've mentioned a lot of components there, Jakub, yeah, and I, could, I don't know this is you know, something near and dear to, to, to us, but we mentioned things like privacy, robustness. Um, what, what do these things really mean to those in the audience that you know, haven't uh, opened the lid on, on, on AI? Probably one of the most commonly
2: known component of it is the explainable AI side of things. So it's about how do we explain how an AI came to its prediction or decision. Uh, So there's different ways in which that's done. Um, And as we mentioned in the beginning, there are different stakeholders such as users, product owners, regulators, data scientists, and so on. And each of them probably have a different requirement uh, for what it means to them that something is explainable. So for a data scientist, maybe just the most important features would be enough. But if you look at end users, that might not be very useful to them. So uh, to bring an example of you know, simple loan applications and getting a decision whether you should get a loan or not, just saying well, what were the most important factors is not as helpful to the users as potentially presenting them with a counterfactual, saying if your credit card debt was less than this, you would have gotten this loan. Um, so it's about how do we explain what the AI is doing in such a way that it benefits the end users
0: what about fairness I know we talked about this right the other day it's one of these things where you need to understand what fairness means to an organization and to the application before you embed that type of assessment in in AI but what do we really mean by AI fairness Jakob
2: yeah so there's few elements that fall in on fairness so there's some regulatory requirements in terms of how uh, we can't be prejudiced towards certain groups, protected groups, and so on. Uh, but I think it's important for organization to have a stronger stance than just the legal minimum. In terms of what is fair to the organization, they need to have a. It would be good to have an ethical, strong ethical stance on what it means to be fair for the organization, and then based on that, we can start coming up with some tests or some. First starting with things like bias detection in the data, in the training, and so on, and making sure that we are upholding our ethical principles. But uh, we can't have AI fairness unless we first define what it means to the organization, and that's something that the organization should do consciously. It shouldn't be up to individual teams or individual developers to come up with what is fair to them it should be coming as an organization as a whole because at the end of the day that product will be representing uh the values of their whole organization not of individuals
0: yeah and that comes around circle to the first thing we said right which is it's ai plus human and and you cannot develop safe trustworthy ai without bringing the business and and the consumers as part of that so i think that's the key takeaway for me is that yes there are technical approaches there's definitions and I'm sure Jakub could talk to us all day about, you know, robustness and transparency. But the ultimate takeaway here is that your, your data science machine learning teams need to know how to identify it. But they need to work with the business and understand the consumer application so they're looking in the right place. And they are building trust based on how it's going to be used and the impact that it has. So final wrap up thoughts, Jakub. how can we foster trust in AI systems?
2: There's two components of it first one is making sure that what we're building is worthy of our trust and then we need to make sure that we communicate that to all relevant stakeholders so it needs to come from how we source the data uh, how we train the models how we publish the models how and how the models are used and then along each of these steps how do we communicate with all the stakeholders around what we're doing in such a way as to not overwhelm them, but to give them enough information so they can make
0: their own decisions. So, uh, not too much to ask of people then, Jakob, you know, I, th- I think this is a—it's an important area. It's an area of a lot of research right now. And rightly so, AI has taken taken uh, the world by storm. And I think, like you say, in some organizations, it's being used in anger without consideration. And in other organizations, its it's kind of, they're waiting for these things to be solved. Regardless, I think there are approaches you can take, and thanks for taking the listeners through those today. From myself, Deepak, thanks for coming on. If you want to find out more about how to actually build trustworthy AI, reach out to us at meshai.com.